0: Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash lineup. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Lineup with Dave Prodan. I'm Dave Prodan, and this is episode 119, an episode presented by 805. The Vans U.S. Open of Surfing, the fourth of seven Challenger Series events this season, finished over the weekend with Hawaii's Betty Lou johnson and Ezekiel Lau taking out their respective divisions, and Kelly Kaliapa and Taylor Jensen claiming the Vans duct-taped Invitational. On the Challenger Series side, both Johnson and Lau are former CT surfers looking to re-qualify for the Elite Tour in 2023. Their wins in Huntington Beach over the weekend solidified their positions on the Challenger Series rankings, and we'll see where the dust settles following Aresera, Sakurama, and Haleva in terms of who will be joining the world's best surfers at Pipeline next January. The Outer Known Tahiti Pro, the final stop on the 2022 WSL Championship Tour, will commence in just a few days with the world's best surfers looking to cement themselves in the WSL Final Five and a shot at the world title in September's Rip Curl WSL Finals at Lower Trestles. The Outer Known Tahiti Pro will stream live at worldsurfleague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. All right, episode 119. Today's guest is someone who actually competed for the undisputed world title at last year's Rip Curl WSL Finals, ultimately finishing fourth, his best season to date. The momentum, however, didn't translate to 2022, and he was one of the surfers regulated to the Challenger Series after the mid-season cut. After a fifth place finish at the opening stop at Snapper Rocks, he's struggled to back that result up across Manly, Bolido, and Huntington Beach. We actually recorded our episode before he left for Forbolito, and we'll see how he ends up before the year is finished and whether or not we'll see him back on the CT in 2023. He has, however, never just been a competitive surfer, boasting a rail game honed in the right-hand point breaks of Santa Barbara and a tube style earned in some of the gnarliest reef passes on the planet. He is a free surfing talent and one of the most respected surfers in the world. All of which is documented in the recently released Keith Malloy-directed film Mindsurfing, now available on YouTube. We talk about all this and more. Please enjoy the Lineups conversation with Santa Barbara's Connor Coffin.
1: The good old clap take one. That's right.
0: How many of you knew what you wanted to
1: be when you were seven years old? I did. I wanted to be world champion. Hey, is there honesty involved in this podcast? Can we be honest?
0: We can shut your fucking lips. And then I'll just say, put him up once. Let's
1: go. He's like, you look too pretty on the wave. Get ugly. We can talk about DMT
0: if you want. I'm talking to your boxing. All right, all right, all right. We have the 805's Connor Coffin, 2021 Rip Curl WSL Final Five competitor, torchbearer for elite level surfing in the Santa Barbara region, and one of the most stylish and powerful world-class surfers active today. Thank you for returning to the lineup. This is a sequel edition episode. (laughs) No
1: worries. Thanks for having me back, Dave.
0: Uh, My pleasure. And, you know, I I was thinking about that a little bit this week and how you were one of the original uh, guinea pigs from our first batch of episodes where we recorded in the Airstream at Surf Ranch in 2019, which feels like several lifetimes ago.
1: (laughs) A lot's happened since then.
0: It does. Yeah.
1: 2019. Holy crap. It's a long time ago. Three years. Completely. Well,
0: we are here. It's the end of June, uh, in 2022, which again, it feels like a completely different reality, but you know, how are you doing today? Where are you today? Who are you hanging out with? Did you surf? Are you going to surf? What's, what's your routine for today in and around this conversation?
1: Um, well I'm home right now and I live in Carpinteria just like five minutes from where I grew up. And, um, Just went and had coffee with my girlfriend, Sierra, and our dog, Finley, and a friend. And I haven't surfed yet today, but I'm planning on getting in the water after this. And uh, that's about it. I'm taking off for Bolito, South Africa, on Sunday. So kind of just been getting ready. There's actually been some super fun waves around, so I've been surfing a bunch, which is kind of rare for us this time of year, as you know. So yeah, just been enjoying a little bit of time at home and... uh, in Australia for two months and change. So it was a good long stand on the road. And it's kind of been nice to have a little bit of downtime.
0: I'm sure. I don't think you missed anything this morning. I dropped Kellen off at a Mondo's for Ventura Surf School and it's a little high tide. It's perfect for them, but I feel like I feel like we've timed this podcast well. Nice. So you're gonna get it on the low time. You get some training in. Good. Well, we we got a little bit to get to today because again, as we said, so much has happened since we did our last podcast. But before we dive into some other topics on the Subject of 805, the Firestone Walker Brewing Company, which in my experience is, is such a cool group of people and they brew excellent beer, thankfully, um, have told us that they have a film coming out this summer about you helmed by none other than 805 core lord Keith Malloy. So that's pretty cool. What can you tell us about this film and, and how it came about?
1: Yeah. Well, I've been working with the 805 guys for, I guess, just over a year now, maybe a year and a half. And I guess going all the way back to how that started was sort of weird chain of events. I met um, Dustin, who's their CMO now, back when he was working at Ernie Ball, a guitar string company. And uh, I'm a guitar, closet guitar nerd. So um, someone introduced us. I actually think it was Bones Brandenburger. So yeah, it was kind of funny. And we were talking about doing something at Ernie Ball. We never did. And then I was kind of talking to a couple of companies at the time about doing something, you know, a couple of like one-off things for beer. And I was like, God, I think Dustin's working at eight Oh five. Always really, I drank their beer since I was probably just old enough or too young to drink beer. So, um, <laughs> I hit him up and, uh, and I was like, Hey, I don't know what you guys have going on. I knew he'd sponsored Nate. So I just liked what they were doing and seemed like it'd be a cool fit if it made sense for them. So yeah, it kind of came about actually really naturally, which was, which was, fun and they've been epic to work with and are really just supportive of our area and kind of our roots and surfing and you know people from here so it it made a lot of sense and they're pumped on surfing and um, yeah they've been really excited to do we did just a really quick little project when I first started and then he was really excited about doing a bigger film and it started off we had a few ideas and one of them was to chase a swell from Hawaii back to Santa Barbara and try to ride the same swell at, you know, like a pipe and then back here at Rincon where I grew up surfing and kind of connected back to the roots 805 and then Keith got involved and it sort of morphed into more, I guess, of like a bit of a story of where, you know, where I grew up here in 805, like how I started surfing a lot of my influences and the people I looked up to and then kind of my path through competing. And yeah, I guess at that time it ended when I was, right after the final five last year. So it was uh, cool. But I guess, you know, besides that, like 805 is really supportive and interested in what I do, I guess, outside of competing and, you know, how that applies to where we're from and their roots. And I guess we've found a lot of similarities. So, yeah, it's been really fun. They're epic to work with. And um, it was really cool working with Keith.
0: Yeah. And I was going to mention that, too, because I'm curious as to how long you've known Keith for and I guess to a further extent, kind of the whole Molloy clan, because when I was younger, they were ever present. They were just all over the magazines. Like everyone knew who they were. But I would, I'd have to imagine that for younger surfers these days, many of whom like look up to you, the Malloy family, you know, th- those kids may not be schooled in who the Malloy family is because it seems like the Malloys have kind of intentionally pulled themselves off the radar a bit and in a way, and and I guess speaking to Keith's point, like moved behind the camera instead of in front of the camera. Would you say that's kind of fair in in your experience?
1: Oh, for sure. But definitely when I was growing up, they were, you know, staples in our surf community here and guys that I looked up to obviously for their surfing, but just as all around rad and badass humans, um, each one of them in their own way, but also very similarly, they're all amazing surfers. They all charge and they're just really, really solid human beings. So I looked up to that probably more than even their surfing, you know, just how cool they were and growing up around here, how nice they were to us growing up. Actually, Chris Price snapped on me at Pytus one day. I think, I don't even know if he remembers. I was a little (laughs) shit shikram, but they, they just kind of like embodied our area really well. And, um, you know, they were, they were cool, but they also were a little bit hard. And then they got, you know, really into the whole cowboy scene and all that and farming and organic gardening. And, you know, they have Chris has his zone up North and uh, Dan, Oh, no hi! And I actually knew a couple of the kids who was farm who were farming his property for a while, and then Keith you know got really into directing and stuff so i they're just super talented well rounded people and i've I've looked up to them my whole life, so um it's been really fun to get to know them and just get to talk to them and pick their brain and their are wealth in knowledge and skillful at so many different things and I always thought that was cool' it was like they were really good surfers, but they also had so much more to give and bring to the table than just surfing so yeah, it was really fun just getting to hang with Keith, you know, he's busy and I'm busy and we had nothing else to do, but to get together for, you know, four or five, six days and just hang all day and shoot the shit and work on this project. So it was really cool. It was really
0: cool. And and anytime, I think what you you mentioned, Chris and Dan as well, like anytime, any single one of them kind of give us a tiny window into what they're doing now, surfing wise, like they all still rip, like they're all so like fit still, they're still charging, they still rip. And as you pointed out, like. And this does, uh, this does, I think, kind of tie into just the surfing experience in Santa Barbara because it, it is one of those things where when it's good, it's so, so good. But you can go weeks, if not months, where it's like not really surfable, you know, and you kind of have to have other interests. And I'm always impressed by people who can kind of switch surfing off for a little bit and do other things, like in the case of the Malloy family, like they've got all these other interests. But then when they get back in the water, they're just as good, if not better sometimes. And that feels like such a departure from at least how i operated when i was a kid where i'm like i have to surf every day as much as i can to stay sharp and it's kind of not necessary all the time i don't know if you felt that too kind of growing up in santa barbara where it just might not be like possible to surf every day Um, or at least kind of surf like you know medium quality kind of waves
1: oh yeah definitely i mean i trip out on it a little bit sometimes when i'm home in between events i'm just jonesing to surf and feel like that's exactly what i should be doing and there's not really a rideable wave unless I drive down to Trestles or something in the summertime. So right. um, yeah, I guess being around, being from around here, you almost get used to not having waves for certain periods of time. So taking a week off isn't a big deal or if I don't surf. And and sometimes I come back after, you know, not surfing for a week, just feeling even more fired up and uh, feeling better that first session back or something that I was like a week ago. So it also just makes you really appreciate the times that there are waves and take advantage of that so last week when there was windswell i was surfing my brains out and that was super fun and it's really nice when it's convenient because around here a lot of the times you know i'm driving down to oxnard or ventura or you know all the way up north so uh you definitely gotta gotta chase it it's not like the gold coast where you run out to bot 362 days of the year and find a rideable wave.
0: Amen. And I know we're not supposed to say D-ball on this podcast anymore because McFanning gave me the business about it. But uh, Really? <laughs> <I agree>. like, <laughs> he's just like, Shh, stop talking about it. And I'm like, it's, it's, it's such a superior wave. Anyway, I'll deal with him. It's when the most I see crowded McFan. wave in
1: the world, I think, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, ex- yeah I'm Like, don't worry. It's not a secret. But that is really cool. And it's very cool. Like, And obviously, we're going to get into everything that everyone's been through over the last few years between the pandemic and tour redesigns, et cetera. But as you mentioned, you know, post Rip Curl WSL finals last September was really probably the first time structurally that, you know, CT surfers like yourself had a window where you go, oh, you know, I don't, I don't have to necessarily be anywhere competing until the end of January, you know, and so I've got, you know, that's four months ish, this chunk of time to work on a project. And obviously, before you qualified for the CT, you were had these amazing film projects that you're putting out and it really sort of built up your profile to one of the more eye pleasing kind of free surfers on the planet. And that's a direction your brother Parker's really, um, leaned into in recent years, but certainly this year, he's put out some amazing stuff. I do wonder if that's ever kind of a tension for you where you're kind of balancing the, oh, do, do I want to, do I want to, even when we're on the CT, like, do I want to put my head down, put a Jersey on and, and battle the world's best surfers in the live arena even if the conditions are not to my liking or do I kind of want to go in this more, you know, um, sort of gypsy based nomadic free surfer kind of, uh, you know, film, film guy. And I'm wondering if that kind of plays out for you or if that's changed for you over the years.
1: Um, yeah, well, first off, thank you. Uh, but it definitely has always been a bit of a internal conflict of, you know, internal conflict for me. And it was before I got on tour because I really enjoyed doing all that and, at that time in the surf world, there was still surf mags and there was still a lot more media platforms and and space for that. You know, Kai was making his movies and I got to go on trips for those and um, be in Lost Atlas and Deer Suburbia, which was super fun. And I definitely, you know, I think that's one dream is to be able to go and travel the world and find good waves and go with friends and surf and work on film projects. And, you know, then the other dream was to make the CT and to get to compete against the best surfers in the world. So those were both dreams I had as a kid. And I've been super fortunate. I got to pretty much live out both of them. And then, you know, I had been on the tour for six or seven years. And definitely there's times when I would miss the more nomadic gypsy sort of looking for good waves and not competing and just going surfing, you know, cause they're definitely two pretty different things. And um, I guess I have a, uh, there's a piece of my heart and, both of them. So, you know, I, I would, in a perfect world, you want to do both, but I've definitely found that being on tour, that was how I got on tour was I had to kind of block out that there's side, you know, and just really focus on competing and becoming a better competitor and learning that whole game. And then, you know, kind of leaving the rest of the stuff to the side, you know, and I did that for six or seven years, probably, you know, I would do an odd rip curl trip, but I didn't really work on any film projects. You know, I put a little edit out here or there, but yeah, you know, I definitely miss doing that. So it was really fun to work on this project, I guess with Keith, it reminded me how much I love that. And, um, you know, definitely if I had the time to be able to do more of that, it'd be super cool. But, you know, I guess I don't really, at this point, I'm still going to do the challenger series for the rest of the year and try to get back on tour and see how that pans out. But I definitely felt like I got a little bit more in the tank.
0: Totally, and and it, it's so interesting too because I was I was re-listening to our our podcast from 2019, and we're I, yeah I was fumbling my way through it, but that was one of the things that struck me about you at the time when we were talking because we were talking about goals and being on the CT, and you were kind of explaining, well, look, my my goal in being here is just to surf the best I can, and I'm surrounded by the world's best surfers, so it's actually pushing me to be a better surfer. But you're pretty like emphatic about. My goal every year is to win, but it's not to win the world title. Like I'm not thinking about that. My goal is just to surf the best I can. This is back in 2019. And then in 2020, we had the the pandemic and the non-year and I think you switch some things up, you switch, you know, your board builder from Channel Islands to JS. Come back in 2021, you have this incredible year. You make the Rip Curl WSL finals and you are in the title hunt, you know. And mm-hmm. and you know, for for my money, that's like watching you surf lowers um, You know, even though Gabriel ended up with with his third world title, like I felt like all the men, that's like the best I'd seen them surf all year, especially yourself, like you were so sharp and so strong. And it was Thanks. it just felt like a really big journey from that 2019 conversation where it's like, oh, look, I'm just here to surf my best. It's, I'm not focusing on the world title to you know, a year and a half later, it's like, you're in the title hunt. You were, you're there on the final day and maybe your mentality didn't change. I'm curious if it did or not, but it felt like whatever you did between then and now you were, you were there and you were, you were a candidate for being a world champion. Did, I guess that's the question. Like, did your psychology change between 2019 and last year when you were in, in the race for a world title?
1: Um, Gosh, 2019 just feels so long ago. So much <laughs> it's, has it's happened yeah. between now We're and then. It's crazy people, to yeah. <laughs> crazy to think back that far. But I guess you know, coming out of COVID, I had felt at the end of you know, I don't even. Want to, did we have a tour in 2020, or was that when COVID started? That's like how I scrambled. It was like, oh, it will tell you in six weeks. We're we'll tell you in go. another yeah, six yeah, weeks, yeah, yeah. and the, it was yeah. Okay, so that's 2020. I I was at the end of 2019. I was pretty. I was feeling kind of burned out and I'd been struggling with, you know, like a hip and a back injury that had just been nagging super bad. And I definitely didn't feel like I was surfing my best. I was barely surfing in between events just because I was in pain and just trying to get myself feeling better to go to the next event. And so by the end of that year, I just felt a bit exhausted by that, not by competing, but just, you know, like it was like the constant battle to try to feel well enough just to go out and feel like I could surf well. So then when the pandemic happened and I had a break, you know, I guess at that point I'd been doing the tour probably for four or five years straight. So, you know, I had a couple of QS years on before that. So I just had been going, going, going. So all of a sudden I got this break from COVID where I was home and kind of got to reset and take care of my, some of those nagging injuries. And by the time the tour started up in post COVID, whatever year time that was, (laughs) um, it's all such a, I don't know. The tour Very used blurry. to give me yeah. a schedule, you know, I used to right, know yeah. when to, yeah,
0: I used to know it to do. Yeah. And then it <laughs> all got,
1: went out the window, you know, I was like, Oh, pipeline. Okay. That's the end of the year. But yeah. So when it started back up, I was fired up and I'd had, you know, a nice time at home. Like, I mean, more time at home than I would had since I was 15 years old, you know, and a lot's changed since I was 15. I, you know, I have a house, I have a girlfriend, I have pets, I have stuff and, you know, I hadn't had a routine here. So it was kind of cool to just feel that and, um, get the, get the batteries really charged up. And then, uh, yeah, so 2021, I don't really feel like a whole lot changed for me besides the fact that I, I physically felt way better mentally. I felt better because I'd had a break and, you know, we went to Australia and, uh, just, you know, I felt like I was surfing well and I, my new boards were working really well and, um, had a lot of good things going and, you know, just probably a similar mentality. I was going out in every heat, just trying to surf, surf my best and, um, compete. I think i really was focusing on just competing well too, you know, like I, I wanted to win even back in 2019, I wanted to win events, but I never really found that putting this goal and like pressure on myself that I needed to end at a certain number at the year, at the end of the year was beneficial. It was more just about like every heat along the way, trying to win that. And I think that that worked really well in 2021. Um, you know, not, not thinking about outcomes or big results, but just trying to be really good in each heat and, Uh, one thing I think that shifted for me a lot in 2021 was like the belief that I could beat some of the top guys, you know, and like the heat and Philippe and at least feel like I could be out there competing with them. And, you know, if, if I had a really good heat that I had every chance to beat those guys, obviously some conditions pending or, you know, it depends on what they do, but I knew if I went out and put up two sevens or eights that I was going to be right there. So I just tried to really consistently do that and um, not, you know, not look at who I was serving against, not look at the conditions, but just figure out how every time I paddle out, I could put up two big scores and, and compete well.
0: That's really interesting. And, and, and one of the things you said sort of early on in that too, just about not, I think in regards to 2019, not so much being burned out on competing, but your body not feeling like it was up to the task of, of performing against the world's best and the reason I bring that up is because you know so often we have surfers um, sometimes very high profile surfers who will withdraw from an event or a couple of events um, because they're dealing with something that's been nagging them or something that's fresh um, and they're like look I, I need to recover and then you know like social media blows up because i will see that same surfer like out in the water surfing somewhere but While that might be a little bit fair, like that people might be getting a little bit cute with some of the injury withdrawals, I do think that something that goes misunderstood a lot of the times is that there's a huge difference between feeling good enough to surf and even surf really well, and also feeling good enough physically to like compete against the world's best, you know, like, and I kind of think... That the disconnect between those things doesn't get appreciated as much. Where it's like, oh, we saw so and so like surfing, getting barreled at such and such. Why aren't they in J Bay or whatever? It's like, well, it is a different set of muscles, and it's a different like physical confidence to be, I can take on Gabriel or I can take on John John, like in the live arena. Is is that fair? And did you kind of ever feel the pressure to think like, Man, I I just have to keep going, and I have to keep like putting my body through this pace because I, I have to keep going kind of thing.
1: Oh yeah. A hundred percent. And you know, I'd, I'd finished seventh in the world one year, but I was never consistently in the top 10 to where I felt confident enough to just be like, Oh, I'm just going to take, you know, an event or two off and call those my throwaways. Cause I'll smash the other eight or 10 events, you know, and be in the top 10 anyways. So <laughs> I've, I was more on the side of like having to felt like I had to be at every event to, you know, hopefully do my best and, and be in, you know, as high in the rankings as I could. But um, yeah, I never felt like I had the leisure of taking an event or two to just really, you know, take care of myself and my body. And, you know, there's the mental side and the physical side, but they're closely connected. And when I find for myself, what if I have physical things, you know, if I wake up in the morning, and I slept shitty, and I rolled around all night, cause my back hurts, and I go to put my pants on, and it's hard to do that. It's kind of hard to get fired up to, Feel like you're in a good mental space to go train and surf, and then let alone go out and compete against some of the best surfers in the world. So uh, for me, it was definitely a bit of a you know it was a snowball effect, and you know they're very closely correlated. Your mind and your body. So I was you know mentally not as confident and feeling as well as I wanted to because my my body didn't feel great. So it's a it's mentally draining too when you're trying to get to that place that you feel like you need to be at all the time. Makes a lot of
0: sense. We're going to take a quick break to get a word in from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. WSLstore.com is powered by Shopify. We love the analytics we can check on the go. A lot of us are addicted to checking the Shopify app on our phones. We also love the automations and marketing integrations with our social and YouTube channels. It has incredible features to help us manage our global audience, including international taxation support and great shipping optionality. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're auctioning autographed apparel or selling sleek skis, Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the US and Shopify is the global force behind Allbirds, Brothys, Brooklinen, and millions of other entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries. Plus, Shopify's extensive help resources are there to support your success every step of the way because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash lineup, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash lineup now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. shopify.com slash lineup. All right. So I want to get to... The 2022 season but i think similar to what we were talking about before so much of 2022 for everyone was sort of formed by what happened in 2021 and you had an awesome 2021 um we, we talked about your runner-up finish at the rip curl Bean classic and we talked about you making the final five and surfing amazing at lower trestles at the rip curl wsl finals can you talk to us a little bit about not so much a season i guess but but that final day at lower trestles and i guess similar to what we talked about before the break like did your mentality change a little bit to the point where you go you know what if i have a day here i'm gonna be the world champ or was it more of a like i'm not gonna think about that because that'll be a distraction i'm just gonna turn up and surf my best
1: uh i mean no definitely both and even, you know, throughout the year, I was focusing on like the heats in front of me and stuff. But I think as, as I said, like that confidence and the belief and, you know, when I beat Italo and had some good heats, you know, that helped a lot, helped me believe in myself a lot more. So when I showed up at the finals, I was exactly like what you said. I was like, you know, I was visualizing winning the world title. And I knew that if I surfed my best and was on the best waves, that there was absolutely a chance that I could win. And I knew it was going to be a tall tall task but I definitely you know believed that so and I was super happy with how I surfed that day and how I competed and I had Felipe you know I should have I made a mistake It didn't surf a wave that well in that heat and had I surfed that wave to its potential I would have had two eights and I would have beat him so you know it was really fun and those were some of the more fun heats I've ever surfed that day and just the whole day it was super cool to be a part of it was amazing
0: totally and I mean your boards looked incredible your form looked incredible the format was new, you know. It was different. It was it was something that you know, honestly, Trav Logie had come up with years and years ago when we were toying with this idea of this sort of linear progression format, where the fifth seed served against the fourth seed, and then the winner served against the third seed, and then the winner served against the second seed, and then the winner of that served against the number one seed in a best two out of three for the world title. You were the fourth seed going in, and you faced off against fellow Rip Curl teammate and and rookie last year, uh, Morgan Sibillik you you dusted him at 15 points morgan didn't really kind of get himself organized in that in that early morning heat and then he came up against felipe toledo and and you were surfing really really well had him on the ropes and then felipe kind of in the last moments was able to get the score and advance on but I, i know that a lot's been said about that format um i i personally really really enjoyed it but but as a competitor i'm curious to get your take on how was it turning up on the day? How was the prospect of potentially having to serve multiple heats just to get to the number one seed? You know, what, what were,
1: what was your experience like just through that format on the day? I thought it was awesome. And, you know, I guess it's easier probably to say that coming from fourth seed saying, Oh, I have a shot at the world title. And, you know, there's, there's basically nothing negative about it. I don't think, you know, I could have gone from fourth to fifth, but whatever that, you know, it's already good. So um, I guess, you know, if you'd ask a uh, guy who's already winning the world title, maybe it's a little bit of a different answer because they have a big thing to lose. But if I remove myself from a surfer, I-, I thought it was great. Like I I lost in that heat against Felipe and I sat on the beach and I watched every heat after that with my family and drank beers and was a frothing surf fan. So I loved it. I mean, I I really enjoyed it. I thought, um, and then from a surfer standpoint, I mean, the Being a part of it was so cool because it was a really unique moment. We've never had anything like that. And to show up on that day and know that the world title was going to be decided and that I had a chance at it was a really cool feeling. And the support and the energy on the beach that day and everyone's, I think, emotional level, you know, it was like everything was at 100. It was pretty crazy. And I'd never really felt the energy on a beach like that for a heat that I was paddling out for, you know, similar, I guess, to, I was surfing against Gabriel at the pipe masters the year that he won in the quarterfinals. And, uh, I had him on the ropes and, you know, that day had a crazy energy, but you know, I don't know what percentage of the beach was for Gabriel, you know, cheers were pretty loud when he, when he got a 10 against me. So I never really felt like I had that the support of someone like that in one of those situations, whereas that day at Trestles I did. And, when I was paddling out and I had my whole family and all my friends on the beach and all these people from California that had come down to support me as the only American in the finals. I mean, it was pretty crazy. It was a definitely, you know, like I was having goosebumps and was, you know, even like tearing up a little bit when I came in from beating Morgan and my whole family was there to give me a big hug. And, you know, a lot of my friends came down from Santa Barbara, uncle Dave, you know, and my, all four of my grandparents were on the beach, you know, it was definitely a moment that I'll remember the rest of my life. And, the biggest moment in my career, for sure. Yeah,
0: and we come off of this sort of career best season for you in the high of the the Rip Curl WSL Finals. You get this nice chunk of off season where you get to work on you know film projects with Keith Malloy, and then we enter into the 2022 season, which you know this is something that comes up in this podcast quite a bit. Like for two decades, and I know you weren't on tour for two decades, but The tour was fairly static, right? Where it's like, it starts in late February, early March on the Gold Coast. And I'm not saying that's like an easy wave, but a more playful wave than like Bonsai Pipeline in the middle of winter, right? So you'd kind of ease in through this Australian leg, you'd get a whole season, and then you'd finish in Hawaii at Pipe at the end of the year. And that was more or less, obviously things were not exactly the same every year, but but more or less that was kind of the static system that was in place for nearly two decades. Um, whether you were coming up and watching the generation ahead of you or qualifying yourself and doing it, that was kind of what it was. Then we have, you know, the, the 2020 year is the, the non-season because of the pandemic 2021 is kind of this hybrid year where we're still navigating a pandemic. It's not the full flighted redesign of the tour. And then 2022 is right. We go, okay, cool. It's 10 CT events. We're starting at pipe. We're finishing at chopes. There's a mid-season cut after Margaret river. And something that came up in the, the Sally Fitzgibbon's episode we recorded recently was just the idea that, you know, for surfers that had been around for a few years, this was really kind of upending like the operating rhythms that they were used to for so, so long. Right. And in a way, it, it almost created an advantage for, for younger surfers or rookies or surfers that hadn't been around for a long time to be like, well, I, I, I wasn't around to get used to how it was before. So it's all kind of fresh to me. I'm wondering if you experienced that at all, just going from what it was to, like, we're starting at Pipe, then Sunset, Portugal, Bells, Margaret River, and if you're not in the top 22, like, you're back to the Challenger Series. Was that was that really disruptive for you, I guess, heading into the season, or did it, did it not make a difference to you?
1: I mean, I wasn't thinking that it made a difference for me, but certainly, like, there was a rhythm and a pace that you were used to, I guess, for, that I was used to for being on tour for a certain amount of years and having, having it be a certain way, you know, you get used to mm-hmm. something. And I think I'm a bit of a, you know, a cr- creature of comfort. Is that the saying? Creature of so, habit. Uh, yep. Creature of habit. Yeah. I was used to that uh, schedule and felt comfortable, you know, and definitely like starting at snapper was really cool. I thought, because it was such a, it's a really c- good canvas, you know, like you could see, you can see all the details in someone surfing. You could pick it apart. You could see when people have worked on things. You can see when people have gone to, you know, have a new board that works insane or, you know, different shaper. all these little things like who's put the work in, in the off season, because everyone's going to get opportunity at snapper. There was always, there's always little waves. It was super clean. It's killer. It's right there. And it was like really high performance. So I thought that was a super cool way to start. And not that pipes, not at all. Like pipe was really exciting. I mean, we scored this year, but definitely you know hawaii is challenging no matter how many times and how much time you've put in there it's definitely you know you can get totally schnookered for waves and heats and you know you can get really challenging conditions you can come up against wild cards that are really good that have tons of experience and so yeah i mean there was all kinds there's always all kinds of factors that come into play um but at the end of the day you know it's like we're you know we're supposed to be the world's best surfers you got to adapt and you got to make it happen so um yeah no i was i mean i was stoked on the the schedule and i thought it was cool and felt um definitely comfortable and confident going into it
0: totally and and i mean it is one of those schedules that again on paper especially for a surfer of your ability you'd say okay well like he's he's fantastic out at pipe and back door he's he's and I know sunset's tricky, right? Because there's so many times where it's like someone's a walk-up favorite at sunset, but it is one of those playing fields. It's like ah, oh, sunset decides who wins those seats. <laughs> it's not so much the surfer, like because you just you're all over the map, and like you, some guys are just on the spot, and you're just unlucky. And then Portugal, you've had great success in the past. Like you're you're almost tailor-made for a place like Bells, a place like Margaret River. But it just it was one of those things that 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 didn't pan out for you in those first five events. In addition to having to compete, and in addition to having to compete under this new design, you had the added responsibility of being um, the surfer rep as well. And and I'm wondering too that that given the the sort of collective stresses of the season, if that role was something that you were like, oh man, this is this is a lot of work, and it's actually kind of a pain in the ass for me this
1: year. <laughs> Yeah. I think you just asked me like 10 questions and I probably did. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm having a hard time picking somewhere to start, but, um, yeah, let's see the, yeah. So, I mean, on paper, for sure, the events were all events that I should have and could have done really well at. And the only one I got a result at was Portugal. So I guess, you know, that was frustrating. I, when I look back at the year, you know, I had such a, a great end of 2021, you know, and, um, you know, I've talked to Joel and I, I actually had a really interesting conversation with, with Parko about this after, um, you know, after I didn't make the cut and, and just how, um, he always felt like he, when he had these like really high moments and then, you know, whatever would come back the next year, it was like hard to get back. You know, I'm sure, you know, it's like a bit of a normal thing in sport, but yeah, it's, it was, I don't know what it, what it was, but definitely like it, I started the year feeling good, but not not quite maybe like as hungry or as fired up as I would have liked to be. And I never was really able to like pinpoint it. Um, you know, so that was probably one aspect of that. Um, and then, you know, I had this killer seed, but, uh, then I ended up, you know, Baron like in round whatever three at pipe, you know, and he's an incredible pipeline surfer and, you know, he, we had a good heat. I made one, we actually had really tricky conditions, you know, and, it was really slow and not very good that morning and the swell was coming up and it was morning sick, you know, and I was the first heat of the day, So against like, a really good surfer out there and he, uh, just, you know, had a better heat and that was it. I made one mistake and it cost me the heat. So, uh, there was, you know, I just felt like there was a lot of that. It was like, then, you know, sunset, okay, I had Kyle, I had a good heat, you know, I had 14 something points and then he surfed some inside wave really well and did some, you know, a big floater and got an eight five. You know, I probably would have given that, him, him that wave again, 10 times out of 10. So just, you know, stuff like that. And then just never really felt like I got any like momentum going my way or, you know, the, the things in the heats that, it, you know, need to kind of come together. That little bit of special sauce just didn't really feel like it was happening. And I was, you know, felt like I was surfing well and, um, you know, doing a pretty good job. And then, yeah, the whole surfer's rep thing, And just you know the change of the mid-year cut and all this stuff you know that had kind of compounded over like the last whatever two years because uh you know it got handed to me from ace and i wasn't necessarily too excited about being the surfers rep um you know i just was kind of like fuck this is kind of like a big (laughs) undertaking probably and Sort of a, th- a thankless
0: with, job, too, in a lot of ways.
1: <laughs> like, yeah. I mean, not that you're looking to, like, I never looked to do it to get some sort of praise or, you know, some in with the WSL or have any, like, there was no, I knew there was, a, it was a zero sum thing. I was never going to get anything out of this except for some, you know, some sort of experience. So <laughs> I guess what I, what I really took the role for was because, you know, Ace kind of had, put it to me like, Hey, the tour is here and it's the way that it is. And we all have this opportunity because of, you know, the work that I've put in and the work that, you know, mix put in and all these amazing surfers and people before us that, you know, kind of went to battle for the, for the surfers and worked with the tour to, you know, give this opportunity to, to me and to the, you know, the Griffins and the Seths and the, you know, the kids that are going to come after them. So I was like, okay i get that and you know i saw it as a cool way maybe and in, in i guess in my mind i was looking at it like i'm you know maybe giving back to the sport a bit that's given me so much and that was i guess my draw to doing it and also to you know hope that i was could help you know bring some sort of benefit from all the things that i've learned and i you know i feel like i can speak and talk and help you know maybe give the wsl some input from the surfers whatever and uh, you know it became really tough with all the changes that um, you know were happening and a lot of them were really hard for a lot of the surfers to get behind and um, you know it's just been I think it's been a tricky time in the sport for you know in the competition side of the sport the whole sport for, for that matter you know a lot a lot of things sure. have changed as a lot of cha- things have changed in the whole world and you know it's a tough surfing's always been a tricky business you know the tours never been great money-making sustainable thing and you know that's what i think in the long run will be best for serving in the sport and it's just you know it's a bumpy path to get there and hopefully we will someday
0: totally you know and i and i think that's always kind of one of those things where it's like it's we're in the 47th year of operations for a global tour between the ips the asp and and then the wsl and it's one of those things that in spite of a lot of things, and sometimes even in spite of itself, like it's at least in my opinion, it, it's done a nice job moving towards a place where it is a platform for the best surfing in the world in the live arena. And that that wasn't kind of always the case, you know. Especially when I started, there was sort of a dissonance sometimes between what surfers would do competitively to, to advance through competition, and then what surfers would be able to do, you know, unrestrained, right? And I think what I've seen, at least in the last seventeen years, is the level's gotten so high on tour that there's almost kind of no daylight between a server's potential and what they're doing competitively because they kind of know they have to perform at that very high level. But again, those changes are always tough, you know, and those changes I think are designed to say, okay, cool, we've got this platform. How do we make it sustainable in the long run so we continue to have a platform? Um, but it's tough too, and, I, and I'm sure for someone like yourself coming off of, you know, a couple a couple of tough results. Excuse me, at, at Pipe and Sunset Beach, and then quarterfinals in Portugal. Heading into Australia, a place where you've done so so well, having a, a shock result at Bells, and then going into Margaret River and, and needing a result. And not getting it, you know, and it seemed like you were obviously not the only one that didn't get the result you needed, but it did seem even kind of watching through the broadcast that that was sort of one of the toughest days to watch because it felt like a lot of the surfers were almost in a state of shock where they're going, I I can't, can't believe I didn't get the result. I can't believe I'm off the CT. Is that kind of a fair assessment just from the viewers on this
1: side of the screen to what it felt like for you and and your colleagues on the beach there in Margaret River? Yeah, for sure. I mean, everyone knew it was coming, but it, that the major cut was coming. And, you know, it's like, you don't, I didn't think that I wasn't going to make it. And I just, you know, as bells was shocking, I served to heat and waist high onshore shit, winky pop, you know, to decide my fate on tour. And those are tough pills to swallow because that was a little bit of how the first five events felt for me. It was like, I never really got the, I didn't really feel like i I barely surfed, you know, like there were right. so many heats where I just felt like I was in a wave catching contest and they just weren't going my way and that's surfing. But, you know, five events can go by really quick when that's that's the sport you're in, you know, is like you are you're battling the guy against you, but you're really surfing against. For me, I always look at it like I'm surfing against Mother Mother Nature. Like I'm it's kind of about how am I going to go out in 30 minutes and like tune in with the ocean and find the two best waves in this heat? Because that's going to give me a huge advantage to beating this other guy, you know, and, and if you, you know, if that happens, it does. And, you know, sometimes it doesn't and it can, it didn't happen for me and, you know, four five event, four of five events. Um, so that was tough, you know, and it's, it just is, I think that was what made it frustrating and stung for me was like, okay, I, I just lost my spot on tour and I felt like I barely even surfed, you know, in this year. So that left me definitely wanting more, I think from the tour and, you know, coming off a year that I did do well, I was like, God, I just feel like I have more surfing to do and I want to do it on that platform, you know? So, um, it was just a, it was a weird five events. You know, I think there was just, you know, tricky forecasts and stuff like, you know, and just a lot of things and whatever just didn't, you know, I never really got it going. So is what it is, but yeah, you know, and then having that surfers rep thing and kind of all the negativity, like, dealing with all of the negativity from not just surfers, but like every single person that I would see for the last like six months was like, what's up with this mid-year cut? Like, I hate it. And I'd be like, you know, and I'd have to sit there and I'd try to explain it to them. And like the potential benefit of doing this thing that no one wanted, you know, and I'm like the guy who's sitting there, like having these hundreds of conversations, you know, and even though I'm trying to maintain this like positive mindset on this thing, that's kind of like, you know, looming, you're like, okay, you have enough of those conversations on some, it's stuck in here subconsciously somewhere, you know, you're like trying to sort through it. Yeah, Yeah. You know, and get it. And I, you know, and that was just, it was adding to all of it, you know, and it's, it sucked. I hated it. Honestly, it was really unfortunate timing for me. Yeah. So lesson learned.
0: Well, there you go. One of those things,
1: you know, big you price to that, pay.
0: <laughs> of course, yeah. One of those things that you mentioned, um, just around the winky pop heat. Um, and as you said, like it's surfing, those things happen. And I think surfing is, you know, outside of the wave pool component, like it probably is the sport with the most dynamic feel to play on the planet. And this is something that felt really present when I was uh lucky enough to be in GarageGon for that event. And we obviously got stuck between two pretty good swell cycles and the week we were there. It wasn't, you know, world-class Garajagan. still, like, really, like, fun um, and contestable. And, and you know, in a way, it, it's like some of these waves are better than you're probably going to see at most spots on tour this year. But it wasn't G-land, G-land. And the thing I was reflecting on, because everyone's like, ah, 95 and 96, 90s, blah, blah, blah is you know even your kid and there's no webcast or there's no kind of like popular webcast or, or quality-based webcast the version you're getting of these events is in the magazines you know like oh there's a sick shot of so and so the write-up's all like you know eights and nines and tens and so and so won. and so as a kid you're digesting what the dream tour is you're kind of drinking the kool-aid and thinking like must be firing every heat every day all the time like how lucky is everyone else and then I think that's something that the webcast and social media information age really shine a light on is like no it's not that it used to be better it's just that now you're seeing all the moments of imperfection that everyone else has to deal with you know like it's not always going to be six to eight foot bells bowl ideal tide ideal win you know sometimes you just stuck with those forecasts and you have to run the contest and it's not the best conditions and i think that's something that's changed so much in the last couple of decades is people having to go Oh, yeah, no, like that's there are realities that you got to deal with that are not the fantasy dream tour that I made up in my head when I was like 15.
1: Oh, yeah, totally. And, you know, since I've been on tour, there's always those times, you know, you go to Fiji or, you know, I've had a lot of heats at Chopu where I was doing turns. And you're like going right, yeah. to Chopu, thinking, OK, I'm getting tubed, you know, and then you're like, OK, no, I'm doing turns on dry reef. And that is the reality of our sport. And I know that uh, that it just makes it a harder business to run because everyone at the end of the day, you know, I like to watch the contest when the waves are good. My buddies like to watch the contest when the waves are good. You like to watch the contest more when the waves are good. You know, everyone does it's that's what we all dream about surfing in and what we want to watch, you know? And I think unless you're like a really true core, you know, if you're cheering for someone or if you're really into it, you know, you you watch through the shitty conditions because, because you're still such a surf fan that, it's fun to watch the heats when the waves are shitty. Cause you know, the strategy and you know, all the nuance, but not everyone knows all those nuance nor maybe cares to learn them. So yeah, it's just, it's, you know, that that's what makes this whole thing tricky and why some of these changes have been put into place to try to figure out a way to, you know, make it better. And at the end of the day that, you know, that was like the same as why I was in the surface rubber. While I want surfing to succeed. I want there to be a tour and, you know, 15 years for kids that dream about being there one day, you know, and um, I'm passionate about it and I love it. And, um, you know, I just, I love surfing. So I want, I want that to be a pathway for kids and people to come. And, you know, it's just how do you get there? We
0: talked about Margaret River, pretty quick turnaround between that event and then the first Challenger Series event at Snapper Rocks. Um, you know, in terms of shifting tiers, um you know getting to serve snapper rocks in magic may and in pretty good waves is is not the worst right in the sense of like okay cool like i've fallen into this middle tier but it is intended to have better waves better competition and you certainly performed really really well at the opening event on the gold coast you finished fifth you're ripping did you have to kind of actively change your mindset between what probably was a, a real hard thing to digest in margaret river and then say okay well I, you know i can't stew on that for very long i have to go perform here on the gold coast
1: yeah for sure i mean margaret's was definitely a space place like i felt comfortable and confident and just you know it's another one of those heats i just it was really tricky conditions and i you know, had a decent heat and Griffin had a better heat. And, you know, it's, he's a great, really freaking good surfer and and a friend and um, someone I've traveled with. So yeah, it was was a bummer. And, you know, I was, I was definitely pretty heartbroken, I guess at that point, you know, just, and then I was, I never, I always told myself that I didn't pre-qualify on the tour, especially, you know, later in my career, like in the last couple of years that I probably wouldn't go back and do the QS. I might, kind of move on to the next chapter but the only having five events and just not feeling like I got to surf much and I just felt like I didn't I didn't have the ending of being on tour that I would have wanted to have and I really wanted to surf more so it was actually cool that Snapper was right after that because I didn't even really have time to think too much or look too far into what I wanted to do in a sense, you know, like I couldn't make any emotionally charged decision at that point. I was just like, okay, snappers next week. I'm going to do that because I want to go surf snapper going back to the gold coast. I'll hang with, you know, Parco and JS and Mick and, you know, just have fun surfing. So when I got over there, like I stayed the first night at Parco's house and him and mom cooked us dinner and we just had a really nice night. And I got to talk to him and just instantly felt way better. You know, it's so nice to have like I'm so grateful for those relationships friendships and mentorships whatever you want to call them but you know to to be able to show up at Joel Parkinson's house and have him be able to sit there and have a beer and talk to you for two hours about you know what you're going through and how he can relate to that and has been through the same thing and the ups and downs of competing and you know just like we we we, I think we think and feel similarly about surfing so it was really cool and um, so nice. And then just to go and surf with him and we got the whole JS team together and just went on the skis to Fingal for like two days and, uh, just feeling that love for surfing, I think, you know, cause for me at the end of the day, like that's, that's really why I'm even doing what I'm doing. That's why I've done the tour, you know, is cause I love to surf so much and wanted, you know, it's an amazing job. So, um, you know, it's always fun and also tricky when you convolute something that you love and a passion and turn it into a job i think you know there's always a little bit of internal conflict along the way and i think for me it's always just like remembering that love for surfing and and leaning into that when i'm in tricky you know challenging positions in my career and competing so that was great to do that and snapper is such a fun wave so i knew i was gonna have fun surfing out there and try to just kind of let all the shit go you know I i really in doing the challenger series for the second half of the year, I was like, I just want to have, I want to enjoy it. I want to have fun. I want to go out and surf well. And, um, you know, the goal being to get back on tour, but kind of just getting pressure and the kind of want and the need quote unquote for results to to get that off my shoulders, you know, and just free myself up, you know, cause I think that's when I do my best surfing and then, you know, the results come from there.
0: It's interesting you said that about the Gold Coast, too, because I'd imagine that you know outside a home, that, that must feel a little bit like a second home through your relationship being on the Rip Curl, for, uh, Rip Curl team for several years and Mick Fanning being there, and then recently switching over to, to JS Industry Surfboards, where they're based on the Gold Coast. JS is there. And as you said, you've developed this really close relationship with uh, 2012 world champ Joel Parkinson, who's based there it just must feel great to be in that space and have those resources to draw upon. And, and I'm curious, is, is switching over to the JS program, is that something where I'd imagine you knew Joel before that you probably had a relationship, but is that kind of allowed you guys to get closer and closer and to learn a lot more from him just because you guys are on the same board
1: program now? Yeah. I mean, I mean the Gold Coast, like, Feels totally like a second home now. And I've been, you know, really fortunate to get to be, you know, friends with Mick and Joel and Dean Morrison and J.S. You know, there's so many, there's such a rich surf culture there, you know, like that town revolves around surfing and there's waves all the time. And, you know, the level and just, you know, I don't know, it's really different than where I'm from, you know, here's much more cruisy and mellow and, you know, surfing's almost more of like a subculture where there it's, that's like what it's about. And, um, I think that when I get there, I feel that energy and I get, I feel like a a fired (laughs) upness to make up my own word, um, that I don't always feel when I'm at home. So I really enjoy that actually. And, uh, definitely I've been trying to spend more time there and yeah, I guess, you know, through the surfboards, like Joel and i become closer, but we were definitely friends before that. And I always tried to hang with him as much as I could. You know, we had some really fun surfs. I saw his best wave ever at snapper go down i was out there with him and mick one day and drive by it every time i'm there him soul arching in that tube and they actually photoshopped me out of it so i don't know we just <laughs> i really hit it off with those guys always you know and um they're just really good guys and you know i'm so stoked that i've gotten to know them so well and the advice that they can offer and just the friendship i really appreciate it
0: we get a couple more topics as well as our listener questions but we're going to take one more break to get a word in from our sponsors and we'll be right back so just before the break, we were talking about your relationship with JS Industries. And one of the things I noticed you posted on social media in and around the uh, Manly Challenger event was the opportunity for you to start surfing some different models, right? So when you're on the championship tour, as is pretty consistent with most CT competitors, like, you probably have like one or two Ferrari models that you surf at almost every stop, with slight variations depending on the wave or the size or whatever right but with the challenger series in different kind of ways and different kind of competitors you have to surf against it sounds like it's almost a cool opportunity for you to branch out a little bit and try some different models or some different tech is is that fair
1: yeah for sure i mean the tour this year was like i barely touched a shortboard. i felt like i wrote a step up the whole you know i was on bigger boards almost every event i think portugal and And Bells, yeah, were was only two that I even pulled out of 510. So that was kind of different than in the years past. But going back to the Challenger Series, like working with JS, I'd never, you know, we put a lot of attention into, you know, 510s, 511s and up because that was what I was riding on the tour. And then we had never really worked much on smaller waveboards because, you know, when I'm home, I sometimes I'd even just, you know, waist high, just ride a fun board, you know, like Black Box 3 or whatever and just, or a 20 or you know, and, and all of a sudden I was like, okay, well, I'm going back on the QS. Manly's going to be waist high and actually ended up being kind of better than that. Actually Manly had some surf, but, um, yeah. uh, you know, so just, yeah, I needed to kind of shift the focus a little bit into more of that, you know, head high and under board and, um, you know, stuff for softer, flatter waves. So that was when I was over there for snapper, we were talking a lot about that and working on some stuff and yeah, they just did the hi-fi 2.0 and, that's been super killer. I've been riding that like all week at home and uh, enjoying that a lot in the smaller surf and the zero kind of a little bit flatter rocker and better all around maybe California style surf. So, um, you know, that's what I have here all the time. So, you know, it's pretty applicable actually to the, to the QS and I'm just going back to the spots that I remember going to every day when I was getting ready to go, uh, you know, to Brazil or back on the challenger series. Makes sense.
0: Didn't get the result you wanted in Sydney, but it's, it's one of those tough events where the conditions. Right, are I fucked that up.
1: <laughs> I surfed some left that no one was surfing <laughs> that I thought was there, and it wasn't there. But
0: yeah, yeah. I feel mean, like Rob Machado's like history of surfing his own wave down at like the U.S. Open over time is like poisoned us all. where We're like, I could just go down there and I'll be fine. But yeah, I don't know. yeah.
1: Out. Sometimes it pays off r- really well, and sometimes it doesn't. So
0: yeah. But looking ahead, you've got belito and it does i do want to get your take on this too because it does feel like south africa has played an important role for you just in your surfing development certainly you've put out some incredible film segments whether it's oh, you know it's... highline or i think maybe I, I my memory might be hazy but in lost atlas i think you were in sort of the durban area maybe doing some surfing. Oh, yeah but it, it, it seems was. like you're really comfortable in south africa and we mentioned you know, US Open's almost sort of like a hometown event for you. It's it's in Huntington, but it's a home state event at least. And I will never forget that I'm pretty sure you featured in one of the more high profile US Open Pro Juniors with John John Calohe and a at that point kind of relatively unknown Felipe Toledo, <laughs> which is kind yeah. of thinking back is like an insane final. Um, totally. and then we've got we've got europe we've got era sarah france which you have a lot of experience at and then uh Sacarema, and then holly eva you know this middle tier of the redesign as you said you feel like you still have some stuff left in the tank i'd say absolutely it feels like you you could look at that kind of schedule and have maybe like a level of confidence and like look if if i'm there i have the experience i have the talent these waves suit me more than maybe kind of just the open season of like every QS is on the menu right where it's like mm-hmm. it's kind of targeted events on the Challenger Series and I feel like it's almost tailor made for surfers like yourself who are world title contenders as evidence last year to kind of advance through and get back on tour pretty quickly
1: yeah no i mean when i i think that was a big part of me you know when i was looking at it after snapper and making my decision on whether I was going to do the challenger series or not. I was like, God, you know, there's actually some great events and um, going to Bolito, you know, that can be really fun. And U.S. Open, I like doing the U.S. Open. Yeah, that final was classic. That was, I don't know what year that was. And then I actually won the junior final the next two years after that final too. So um, I haven't had a great run in the the U.S. there yet, but, uh, you know, I definitely, have surfed a lot of heats at Huntington beach. I'll tell you that much. So, you know, in Europe, I love France and Portugal and Sacarima can be epic and, and Eva. So there's some really good events. And, you know, I, I, that was, I think a lot of like the redesign of the tour, you know, and what I've told people a lot is like, Hey, look, if the, you know, if the prime, the level of surfing, which I think was showcased at snapper, you know, finally, like, mm. I think more people tuned into that event because it was at snapper and they're like, Oh shit you know, Challenger Series at Snapper and there was whatever, 25, 30 CT surfers in there too. And then seeing, you know, the juxtaposition of the CT surfers with the, with all these high level Challenger Series surfers. I mean, there was some really sick surfing going on at that event. And I thought it was super fun to watch and certainly to be a part of. So yeah, hopefully that, you know, this mid tier, as you call it, can just kind of keep elevating and be a good supplement to the, to the CT. And you know, I think these events have potential to be really big and to be really exciting to watch. And, you know, the the depth of talent and the level of surfing, not only on the CT, I mean, you see what's going on at those events these days, it's absolutely insane. And that's not just happening there. You know, this is happening all the way down, you know, on the Challenger Series too. So yeah, I guess that's the, you know, it's kind of like you're taking some talent from here and adding to a huge pool here, you know, hopefully that in the longer term, maybe the CT gets bigger again but i think that the surfing that's going to happen this year on the challenger series will be super exciting totally
0: and i know we talked about this a little bit in the upfront. just how much things have changed in you know competitive surfing or just surfing in general and also you mentioned a lot of changes kind of in your own life you know you've got a house now and a girlfriend and pets and you've also got a lot of projects too, that you're working on outside of, you know, being a forward-facing competitive surfer. We talked a little bit about the tension of, you know, the the draw of potentially moving into a free surfing space. Obviously your, your primary sponsor in Rip Curl has the search program, which is historically awesome. And it sounds like you've participated in some of those trips before too, but, you know, looking ahead at the rest of the year, Trying to balance out, you know, your your life interests and your Challenger Series goals. I guess the question is, how how much are you looking forward to competing and trying to get back on the CT, and how much are you looking forward to balancing that out with, you know, non competitive projects, whether they're business interests
1: or or free surfing interests. Um, I mean, yeah, that's my. Yes, all these, all these loaded questions. I never know where to start. But so I guess you <laughs> None know of start, these are loaded. We're just there No, but that's... they're just good. They're good questions <laughs> and and I could probably talk for way too long about all of them. So um definitely, I mean, I've never had any shortage of interest. That's so never been a problem for me and passions and you know, whether it's within the surf world, you know, like I've I'm part of a a towel company called loose. And, you know, that's a really fun project for me. I'm part of a knife company called the James brand. And, you know, that's like, I love the business side of things. I've always wanted to be a part of brands. And, you know, I just, outside of just this, you know, being a surfer, like I really tried to embrace like all aspects of it, you know, and and have fun with the whole thing. And, you know, just outside of my surfing, like, I guess, you know, creating a brand for myself and, feeling like there was more to it than just, you know, putting on a Jersey and going out and winning heats, you know, I guess that's important to me is like that there's a full kind of a deeper approach to it all. You know, I guess that, that has a lot of meaning to me. And then, you know, outside of surfing, yeah, I also have a lot of hobbies and interests and passions and, you know, family is really important to me, you know, having being a good boyfriend is important to me and time with my brother and all these things and friends. And, you know, I, I think I, Sometimes feel like I have a lot on my plate. I try to definitely balance it, but at the end of the day, I definitely to do well on the tour. I know that I have to put some of my interests, you know, like a little bit to the side, and make sure that I'm putting the time and the energy and the effort into like doing what I need to do to go to the next event, really prepared and feeling sharp mentally and physically and surfing wise. And um, so, yeah, that's I guess that's for me. That's the balance. Is like okay, cool. That's if I'm going back out, which I am to be on the challenger series and get back on the tour. Like I need to make sure that I have that prioritized in my life and make sure that, you know, whether it's every day or every couple of days that I'm doing what I need to do to feel mentally and physically prepared to go to the next event and then structure my life around that. And, um, you know, when I can find time to go on a two day fishing trip or work in the garden or, go over and hang with the family and have super fun meal or, you know, work on loose or talk about the James brand, like all these other things. I kind of just try to fit them in besides that, you know, and pull some weeds in the garden and make sure it's getting watered. That's all, you know, yeah, it's all got to get done. So yeah, I have no, I never have a lack of, I guess, like fire and motivation to wake up every day and do a bunch of shit that I find interesting and fun and productive. So it's more just like making sure that I'm, getting done what I need to for the, the main goal for that year.
0: Makes all the sense in the world. So before we go, we've got uh, two more segments. The first segment is our listener questions. These came from the Instagram community. Thanks to everyone who follows us. Actually, both on Instagram and Twitter at, at the lineup pod. Um, we appreciate you. And we appreciate all the questions. We've, uh, we've whittled the many that we got for you down to three. And <laughs> cool. the, uh, the first, the first question. Yeah. <laughs> first questions from... At Jack Hoho Luck, who asks, what is your preheat meal and favorite meal to cook nowadays? That sounds like two questions.
1: Yeah. Okay. Well, preheat meal, I guess for me, it really depends on when my heats are, you know, like if I'm at early morning heat, I might not eat much. I might, you know, I quit coffee for a long time. So I wasn't even drinking coffee before heats because I felt like I got too fired up, you know, Mm. I was drinking coffee at snapper. So (laughs) Uh, usually, you know, I'll have just like a couple you know, like a little bar or something or something light. Like I like to keep it really light on contest days. Um, you know, maybe if I have enough time, like if I'm a later heat in the day, I'll get up and maybe do like a smoothie and then just eat some like, you know, easy protein and, and keep it clean, pretty light. So I don't know if that really answers your question. It kind of just depends on where I am and you know, what's accessible. Uh, and then my favorite meal to cook is definitely, I like to make homemade spaghetti and meatballs, make the sauce make meatballs from scratch and that's my favorite comfort food sounds pretty good it is good
0: next question is from at joe underscore puko who asks who is your favorite power surfer from the past
1: favorite power
0: surfer from anyone older than you i guess counts yeah uh
1: it's got to be tom curran um, there's mm-hmm. been a lot of good ones and I have a lot of other favorites too, but I just grew up watching Tom surf here and he's probably been my biggest inspiration from a surfing standpoint in, in my life. Yeah. The guy I wanted to emulate probably the most.
0: Well, that's actually a good answer. Cause I think it leads into our, our third question here from Andy at Andy Cashford who asks, did you work on style intentionally or did you find your style kind of once you let go of working on it intentionally?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's a great question. And I think that for me, like my style came from surfing being like a, um, like an outlet and, uh, expression, you know, like a creative expression. And so I think like uh, the power comes from, you know, like taking whatever I'm feeling and trying to let it out on a wave, I guess. And, you know, I guess that like bit of aggression or whatever, you know, try to channel it into the surf and you know, I always just felt like when I went out surfing, it was like a place that I could let go of everything. And I just kind of put that into the way that I rode a wave and um, expressed whatever I was feeling that day. And, you know, I think that style is also like a product of your environment. I grew up surfing here in Santa Barbara on point breaks and watching all the guys that surf here, guys and girls that have really smooth and graceful styles and drawing outlines on a point break. So, you know, that's probably a second element to it. And then I did it like a certain point you know, like I've always studied guys that surfing that I like, Tom and Dane and Taylor Knox and Andy Irons, you know, and Gurr, you know, Brownie, like all these guys that I looked up to here and around the world. So I was fortunate to be able to watch all the surf films of all those guys and try to figure out what they were doing and why I liked watching their surfing more than other people surfing. So that was an element. And then, and then I did work with Gurr for a while who did help me a lot, like technically, you know, work on certain things that probably added to my style too. So, a lot of answers for a simple oh, question. That was a great answer.
0: Well, thanks yeah. to everyone who wrote in uh, on Instagram, Twitter at the lineup pod. Appreciate you guys. Uh, we're now down to the final segment. Um, it's time for the lightning round. I want to say we did one before. I'm pretty sure I've been doing this since episode one. Yeah, like, we did. You know, okay cool. we'll compare your answers see if they change. so 10 questions for you to answer as uh, quickly as you can if you could only have one board set up for the rest of your life single fin twin fin thruster quad bonzer or finless which would you choose thruster coffee or tea coffee burrito or pizza
1: burrito last book you read uh kiss the ground almost done
0: best surf film ever
1: searching for tom curran it's a hard answer but
0: that is a great answer I think it's like now available finally after asking for decades. <laughs> it is.
1: I just got a copy the other day from the Santa Barbara Surf Film Festival. I was pumped. There, there you go. Uh,
0: one wave you never have to go back to.
1: Never have to or never want to. Either or. is yeah. <laughs> <laughs> interesting. No, no, no. Actually, I'm taking that back. Sure. I, I actually like Sacrema. Um, It just can be backwashy. Maybe I uh, like the beach breaks in Rio, that place. Would- mm to hookah sewer sewer water being a big part of that yeah that was that, that was a tough hang that. i've always felt yeah.
0: like that wave was way more fun to surf than it looked on the webcast like every time i'm like everyone seems like it's like real rampy and punchy like when it's a certain size but you're right the water you when know, it wasn't a straight close out rough exactly good answer uh if you only get to surf one way for the rest of your life
1: that's hard
0: you could dream cast it it could be same conditions
1: no crowd whatever you like oh really yeah yeah go for it if I could put like J-Bay on the point at Rincon with less people, I'd probably do that. <laughs>
0: hey, all right. That's a good. I like the Frankenstein answer. That's pretty good.
1: Yeah. But no, I mean, if, if it was less crowded, probably just Rincon. I, I love it. And that's where I grew up surfing. But then I'd really like to get tubes. So pff, Cloud breaker Pipes, pretty hard to not put in there. Probably Cloud Break, actually. Cloud Break has it all. Cloud Break.
0: OK, that's a good answer. I was going to say, on the Frankenstein point, we can maybe just drop cloud break on the backside of ring con yeah there I, we go
1: perfect yeah there we go now I we're solved, talking solved it yeah
0: peak <laughs> peak <laughs> i
1: think i do cloud break though that's such a good wave uh best person to share a lineup with uh, my brother parker and my dad <laughs> worst person to
0: share a lineup with oh
1: shit i don't know <laughs> a lot of people have an answer but they're like i can't say it. and i'm like it's fair <laughs> I mean, it's, and this is nothing personal. Like Eat catches a shit ton of waves, sure. but <laughs> he's fun yeah, to surf fair, with because yeah, sure. he's freaking ripping. So it's, it's not, that's definitely not a personal thing, but he freaking catches a lot of waves.
0: That's, that's good.
1: Uh, okay. Last one.
0: Uh, finish this sentence. I will next achieve a state of happiness by. I
1: don't know. I feel pretty happy right now.
0: All right. Finishing the podcast. Connor Coffin, my man, thank you so much uh, for continuing to rip. Appreciate your candor and your insights throughout this conversation very much looking forward to your feature film with 805 directed by Keith Malloy as well as your Challenger series campaign so thanks man we'll be watching you throughout the year and I look forward to seeing you in person soon
1: yeah Dave for sure thank you guys and thanks for having me and uh looking forward to the rest of the year
0: so that's it that's the lineups conversation with Santa Barbara's Connor Coffin presented by 805 I hope you enjoyed it. If you haven't already, check out Mindsurfing, directed by Keith Malloy. You can find it on YouTube. It is well worth a watch. The Outer Known Tahiti Pro, running from August 11th through the 21st, is the final stop on the 2022 WSL Championship Tour and will determine the WSL Final Five, competing for the undisputed world title at September's Rip Curl WSL Finals at Lower Trussels. The Outer Nun Tahiti Pro commences in just a couple of days and will stream live at WorldSurfLeague.com and the WSL app. Do not miss it. This episode is produced by Henry Beyer with art direction by Jason Penning, copywriting by Dan Willen, and additional support from Miguel Clemente. Thanks to them and thanks to our sponsors. We appreciate their support. The lineup acknowledges that is recorded and produced on the ancestral lands of the Chumash and the Kumeyaay indigenous people. I hope you safely get some waves wherever you are and we'll see you next Tuesday.